All right. Well, um, good morning. It's, it's great to be here again. I'm very excited. Uh, I'm working off multiple devices. We uh, actually just had a little uh, Riverside Leadership Conference, uh, kind of a mini conference yesterday. We we're talking about the merits of tech versus paper in terms of our Bibles and presentations. And so it's very ironic. I'm now sitting up here with three tablets because I was the guy telling him we should use more paper. Um, but uh, we'll see how that goes. Also, as, and I just I feel like I need to acknowledge it. Um, you may have heard we had a little projector problem this morning. So I really feel like either. Um, Either the devil really doesn't want us to hear what we have to say today, or we just need a little more prayer. So if you could just be praying for us this morning, and for me in particular, because I don't want you to hear from me, I really want you to hear from the Lord. It's especially important because today's message is, um, I'm not sure, I, I've always thought that Andy and I are, are, are friends. Um, he prays for me regularly, we talk, and then I saw the, the, the passage he had for me today, and I was like, he doesn't like me very much. So it, it's a very challenging part of Scripture today, but also very exciting part of Scripture. Really excited for us to, to walk through today. So uh, with all that said, uh, I think uh, I, what I wanted to start off with talking about is I've been thinking a little bit about heaven. Uh, I don't know if you think about who thinks about heaven occasionally. Yeah, right. You notice it's mostly those of us that are a, a little bit older, professional lives and kind of merging on, right? All the young people are like, heaven, yeah, you know. And uh, as I've been thinking about heaven, I've, I've been thinking in particular uh, about kind of a, a few things. I've been kind of wondering, you know, what, what's, what's it going to be like? Because um, I keep thinking about eternity. That's a very long, you don't want to say time, but that's the wrong word. It just keeps going, right? It's not measured. And, I, and, and so then I, I started thinking a little bit about, you know, will there be, uh, you know, will there be the clouds? Will there be the harps? What, what about with the golden gates? You know, all, all the things that, you know, the tropes of heaven. But then, to be honest, I... Uh, I brought my extra layer this morning, uh, and I started thinking about the food, because I was like, surely there will be good food in heaven. And that made me start thinking about food here on earth, which just made me hungry. Um, and I started thinking, well, what's, what's really heavenly food? And I'm, I'm sure we're all thinking of the same heavenly food right now, um, because I thought of Costco. <laughs> no? Not? Just, just me. Um, Okay, well, uh, here's what I want to tell you about Costco. For me, Costco is so much more than, than you know, everything I want all, all in one place. That's their slogan. Uh, it's actually about the food. Uh, in particular, the, the food court. I love the food court. Uh, I, I never find those images look especially attractive, but honestly, it's, it's delicious food. Um, and we love the pizza in our home, and we love the hot dogs in particular. So I, I'm, in my mind, I'm like, there's some kind of Costco outlet you arrive at in heaven. You get there, and you're like... I'll need one of those and one of those. And it doesn't go here, which is wonderful. But um, then something really tragic happened. I was doing a little research online, getting ready for this week, and uh, I, I found a study that was really, really disheartening. Um, you can't read it because it's a little bit cut off there, but what this study actually found is that researchers have, have done some, some work, and they've, and they've discovered that apparently eating a single hot dog reduces your, your life by 36 minutes. Um, now, I, I don't know how they come up with those kinds of things, um, but apparently this is what they're saying. And I started doing some calculations, and I was like, oh, I've lost a lot of time. I, <laughs> somebody a little nervous, right? Um, and right now you're going, what on earth does this have to do with what we're doing today? So, so let me kind of tie this together a little bit for you. Um, and that's that I really began thinking, actually, very sincerely, about the fact that what if God was a God of hot dogs? Now, it sounds silly, but I, I want to clarify that. What if a God, you know, God was a God who reduced our life every time we, we did something wrong? You know, every, every time you said a, a curse word, every time you lost your temper, every time you had an inappropriate thought, I, I don't think I probably would have made it past about age three and a half if that was really the case. 
And I'm so thankful that we serve a God of grace, a God of love, and a God who does not chuck things up and tick things off um, as if the hot dog was reducing our lives. He's not a God of tick marks. Um, we actually serve a God uh, that is amazing and incredible. And our incredible God is a God of love, he's a God of compassion, a God of strength, a God of power. And, and I actually, I pulled this from the, uh, from the Vineyard Statement of Faith, so I, I wanted you to see this. I don't know how often you, you read our Statement of Faith. Uh, if you have several hours, uh, it's a good read. Um, but this part in particular was really, really profound. And you can find this directly on the Vineyard site, but it, it puts it this way. It says that we have a God who regenerates, justifies, adopts, and sanctifies through Jesus, by the Spirit, everyone who repents of their sins and trusts in Jesus as their Savior. Now, this morning you may be here going, well, I'm, I'm not sure if that's me, and that's okay. It's an invitation and it's a journey. But for those of us that, that do call him Savior, or come to call him Savior, that picture of who we are and how he sees us is profound and life-changing. And I, I really like, actually, the way that... Uh, the, the epistle in 1 John puts it. In 1 John 1.9, it says this, If we confess our sins, He, God, is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And in other words, He takes how we used to be and He makes us something brand new. Now at this point, if you've been raised in church, if you've been coming to Riverside for a while, I am, am, am speaking to the choir. You are all aware of this. And if you're not, this might be some new information. But I think we kind of lose touch with that sometimes. And I feel like we need to really dig into that today because there's some transformative truth as we look at our passage. In other words, once we're made right with Jesus, all those tick marks, everything's gone, and now we begin to see that God sees us in this new way. And so today I want to talk as we jump into our advanced series, looking at a God of integrity. A God of integrity. Now, if you've got your Bibles, you can follow along. I'll have it on the slides as well. And this is where we all do what I did yesterday. We pull out a device. There's like two people in the room that have a paper Bible, and they're kind of feeling like they're, they're feeling phone shame. Like, I better get up the phone instead. But whatever you're reading on, that's fine. And if it's these slides, that's okay, too. Well, we're going to begin uh, actually picking up with the very last verse of our passage from last week, going all the way through Acts 5.11. And, and what we see is, um, I don't know a better word for it. It is honestly a, an absolutely crazy story. Um, the first four chapters of Acts kind of set a tone of miracles and amazing things happening. And the church is growing and, and in a place where there, there's all this persecution and they're being you know, attacked and, and jailed and taken before the, the, you know, the leaders in the political era. There's this growth. There's this explosion. And then we get to Acts 5. And it, you know, it, it's almost you, you know, as if you're just kind of chatting with a friend and, and you know, you're feeling like you're really connecting and there's really something good. And then they get a phone call and just leave. And you're kind of left going... But I, I thought, we, oh, okay. And that's what this passage really does for us. We're going this, traveling this one route, and then suddenly, whoa, right turn. And so we're going to look at that today. But as we do, and as we look at this integrity, I thought it was important for us to kind of have a baseline of definitions. This is the teacher in me. I, I always like to begin with where we, uh, where we have some common ground. So Webster's Dictionary, not Greek. We're just going to stick with English, because I think, does anybody speak Greek in the room? Just, um, great. So those of us, how many of us speak some English? Anybody speak American? <sighs> now, so uh, Webster's Dictionary defines integrity actually in three different ways. Uh, the first, it says it is a firm adherence to a code of especially moral or artistic values. And with that, then, it, it can, encapsulates that is incorruptibility. And the second definition it gives is an unimpaired condition, in, in, by which it, it, it says soundness. 
And the third is the quality or state of being complete or undivided, okay? completeness. So those three words were really my touchstone today as I hit the passage. So I, I just kept going back to it and being like, God, what do you have for us today? And again and again and again, what I came back to was the incorruptible, completely sound and whole, complete essence of God's integrity for us as a church today and what that means for our lives going forward. So I want to start by first looking at the soundness of God's integrity. And this is, as I said, what we were kind of finishing off with last week. I think Kendi did an amazing job, and she was really excited talking about the boldness and courage of of the church, and and it was just so encouraging. But in Acts 4.31, it says, After they prayed, uh, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word uh, of God boldly. Boldly. I I don't know about you, but I'm not always especially bold. I'd like to be more bold. But I, you know, I'm not sitting, you know, Kendi actually, she talked about a, a, a bus, and she got off the bus and was chasing the young man and was like, you need to stop smoking. And I was like, I don't, I don't engage with the Spirit that way all the time like I, I wish. I pray, I hope, I aspire. But when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, there is that transformation. Lives do become bold. And, and that's that integrity of God that we see, this amazing, bold integrity that pushes us forward. And, and when I say that, what I mean is, is that we can trust in God so much. And by integrity, we're talking about, in this sense today, at least for me, the idea that, that the integrity of something is what holds it up. It's what makes it stand together. You are sitting in a chair that is holding you up because it has integrity. It didn't ascribe to some great moral values or some moral truths. It has a strength because it is whole, it is sound, and it is incorruptible. And that gives you an audacious boldness because I watched all of you from the back. I like to sit, stand at the back when we're doing worship and I, I'm preaching. And I, and I watched all of you. And I didn't see anybody turn around at the end of the worship when, when we were you know, asked to go ahead and have a seat and we were doing our announcements. Nobody went over to, to, the, to their seat and turned around and went. No? You, I mean, you just, you just boldly sat in the seat. And we talk about that a lot, you know, as an expression of faith and how we explain what it means to have faith. But I think there's some, a boldness that goes with that. You, you act out and you do things because you, you are operating on the integrity, the wholeness, the soundness of this thing. And that's what the church did. They were filled with that wholeness, that soundness, that, that boldness from God. And it changed their actions completely. And I, I think it's a little bit on the nose for us to look at that and kind of go, oh, yeah, of course, you know, it's the early church and... Because we forget how much changed from then to now. Okay, so, so this is a time and in, in a, in a day and an age when Peter is still alive. You know, one of the 12 guys who actually knew Jesus. In, in COVID times and, and over the last year, some of us have lost people. Peter had lost someone. He knew Jesus. I mean, step aside from the supernatural side of Jesus just for a moment. This was his friend who had died. And yes, rose again, and there's the good news there, and and don't want to downplay that at all, but he missed the actual connection of holding his friend and talking with his friend and, I don't know, going fishing with his friend, probably telling guy jokes with his friend. There was an absence that he felt. And the church was not popular. This was not something that everybody was going, hey, yeah, let's this Jesus guy. This is really, there was persecution and they were being attacked by the leaders. And it was a fledgling movement. I think many of them, if they were honest, had great days. And we read about those in Acts. But they probably had other days when they're sitting around going, man, I don't know if we're going to make it. God, are you, is this like, wow, this is a lot. Because they were that young church. 
The message of the gospel had not traveled the grove. No one staying in a hotel would find a Bible in the drawer. Crosses were not symbols of jewelry. They were symbols of great fear. But the soundness, the fullness, the filling of God's integrity, it kind of buoyed up the believers like a, a boat going across the water. And, and this is kind of that image that came to my mind. I was like, man, they are charging ahead because they can trust in that, that boat, that soundness, to keep them propelling across the water. The difficulties, the strife, the challenges, it didn't matter. They're like, we are going because we have this boldness. It carries you through difficult times. Amen? All right. Now, when we read that, we see it, but I think we see it in the lives of, of the people at our church here as well. And I, I wanted to talk a little bit about how that boldness can actually be practically seen. Not a lot of you probably know Lois. Lois wasn't here for very long. Um, but she was a youth worker with our team and, and is kind of an extension of our church now. She came in, I met her, I think, in March of this year. And she hadn't been in the church three or four months when she told us she was leaving. Oh, right? Oh, youth workers, of course, they're young and they... No, not at all. Lois felt called in the middle of the Ukraine conflict to go boldly and to minister to the refugees on the border of those exiting Ukraine. Now, what you don't know about Lois is that she uh, hasn't finished the, uh, or fully finished the, the qualifications she's working on right now in, in ministry. So she had to set that aside. She doesn't have a, a tremendous savings. She doesn't come from a super wealthy family. She's not, you know, rock, rocking around in, in, a, in a brand new Audi and, you know, wearing her Gucci bags. She left a paid job. It, admittedly, it's church work, but it's still paid. In the midst of, a, of, a, of the turmoil of a living crisis, at age 21, to go stand on the border and help people she doesn't know in what potentially could be a, a, a physically dangerous situation. I don't know about you, but when I hear that, that's, that's an amazing story of boldness, which I can only ascribe to her, her very deep foundation and root in the integrity that God has, that God is going to provide, and it's going to take her across, and this is what she needed to do. Yeah? Come on, we've got to nod on that a little bit, folks. Yeah, there we go. All right, now the second thing I see here is, is that I, I see that the integrity of God, at least for me, it brings completeness. And by that, again, I mean that sense of, of wholeness. We see in verses 32 to 35, it says, All the believers were in one heart and in mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there was no needy person among them. If you're making notes, I want you to underline, identify, highlight that word no. Not some, not a few, no needy person. That is incredible. There was no need. They had everything they needed. And from time to time, those who owned land or houses or sold them or bought them or brought money from the sales, they put it at the apostles' feet and they distributed it to anyone who had need. So Luke records there again that they shared everything, they had no need, and they distributed some money to anyone in, in need. In other words, everything was provided. It was absolutely complete. There was no piece of the puzzle that was missing. They had everything all together and joined together. Now, I don't mean that their, that their needs were necessarily met in the way that we might imagine. And again, it's easy to sit in our seats now and look back and be like, oh yeah, God did that. That's so great. But can you imagine them being there, the early church leaders, Paul, uh, Peter and the others, sitting around? And do you think that for a moment, a bunch of them were like, hey, you know what? We need some finances. We have some needs. I've got a great idea. Let's go to a bunch of our wealthier parishioners. Let's ask them to sell their property 
and give it to us. Uh, I've looked at property in London recently. I I don't know if you do. It's kind of a fun thing I like to do from time to time. Uh, An inexpensive house in the nearest Witten area. uh, I have three boys, so you must go with three bedrooms, right? Uh, An inexpensive inexpensive house in this area will cost you upwards of 550,000 pounds. That's not a very fancy house here in this area either, I am sad to say. Um, And and for those of us who are, you know, uh, pre-crazy currency fluxes, that would have been about $700,000 in the U.S. To me, that's a lot of money. And this church had people that just said, you know what, we've got some needs. I think it's time to sell that property and just give it to the church. Now, I I should put a pin on that. I I don't want anybody to feel like they need to go home, get some mortgage documents, figure out some things. That's not not what this is about. But my point is is that I don't think any church leadership that is, is, is responsible, is capable, and is empowered by God is counting on that as God's provision and plan. And yet, that bold integrity provided an amazing completeness and need, and people just felt like, that's what I want to do. That is, I think, honestly, just amazing. Absolutely amazing. It reminds me a little bit of a story of, of one of my favorite pastors, Erwin McManus. Does anyone know Erwin McManus in the Mosaic Church? Lovely, I'm talking to myself. Um, that's okay. Erwin McManus, Mosaic Church, they're fantastic. Thank you, Andy. He's like the only one. Everybody else like, oh, who? Um, but he tells the story of when uh, he was a pastor. He's in his 60s now, um, and, and he's been in ministry a long time. I've, I've had the privilege of seeing him speak a few times overseas. Um, but when he was a young man starting off in ministry, he was called late to, to Christianity in general. It was when he was working on his master's program uh, in his late university years. And suddenly he just had this transformative experience, and he was like, I, I think I, I'm, you know, he became a Christian. He's like, I think I need to go into ministry. So he decided he was just going to pack up everything from Florida and drive across the country to Texas, which, again, you don't maybe know your American geography like I do, so let me just say, that's a long way. It's much farther than here, like the Bristol. Like, it's, it's a long way, okay? 20 hours, he had no vehicle, had no way to do it, had no way to get there. And, and he was just praying about it. His family's like telling him, finish the masters, this is crazy, what are you doing? And he just prayed, and suddenly uh, an old friend of his had a friend who said, um, actually, I'm moving to Texas and I heard you need a lift, do you, do you want to come with me? An old Volkswagen bug, not the new ones, you know, the old ones. He's like, I've got one seat and, and, and you can come. And, and Erwin said, well, can I bring my guitar? He said, you can bring your guitar. So he brought his guitar and a bag full of clothes, literally a grocery bag full of clothes, and he went out to seminary. When he got there, uh, he, he didn't have anything. I mean, he, he hadn't actually finished completing all of his sign-up. They were really like, what, what are you, why are you here? Uh, he didn't have housing, and he had no money to pay for his, for his housing or anything else. He got put on a waiting list to get into the graduate housing for the seminarians with over 175 people ahead of him, and he arrived there without a place to live. So he did the traditional couch surfing for about a month and a half, and then amazingly, uh, an opportunity came and he was given a spot in the home, in the, in the dorm housing there for the students. And several months went by and he was doing his seminary things, and he was, he was, but he was struggling. He was really, like, he, he tells the story, he would actually go out and he would, as he was walking, he would, he would go out and he would look for change on the ground to help himself pay for um, groceries for that week. Like, his ability to get food was the ability to find a pound on the corner. And that particular day, he, he, he was short. He came up, and, and he, he was about 20 pence short of just getting the cup of soup that he had hoped for, because he was really hungry that day, and he just needed soup. And he's like, and he just melted down. He said, God, what is going on? What are we doing? Where is it going? And, and he just, he couldn't, and he, he cried, and he's like, I think I'm packing it in. And so he, he went back home, 
When he went back home in his dorm room, there's a bunch of guys there. This is way before we have refrigerators and dorms and those kinds of things. He's on his own. And there's a bag of groceries waiting at the door. And that bag of groceries came every day for the next three months. And he finally met the man who was dropping off. And I was like, oh, man, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't want you to see this. I, I didn't want you to know it was me. And, and he vaguely remembered having met this guy one time. And he never said anything about his financial circumstances. But this was where he was at. And the guy said, well, God just told me that I needed to provide. God provides in these incredible, incredible ways. It happened then. It happens now. It will happen in your life, wherever you are at right now. Amen? All right, but here's the part of the story that gets really crazy. It's the longest part of the passage and the part where I, I really should spend most of my time. But I realize I think that this part of the story is not mainly the main part of the story. So I'm going to put it on the text here behind you, but I, I'm going to go quickly through this because I think there's a bigger, bigger issue here. And this is maybe a famous story for those of us who were raised in church, but it's the story of Ananias and Sapphira. And Ananias and Sapphira, they, they paid for this piece of property, and with his wife's full knowledge, they kept part of the money back for themselves and bought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. And then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept some money for yourself after you received the land? Didn't, you belong, didn't it belong to you after it was sold? And after it sold, wasn't it your money at your disposal? What made you do such a thing? You have not just lied to human beings, but to God. And what happens next in the story is, is actually, it goes on, and, and he dies. Instantly, right there. God's judgment on this man. His wife, not knowing what has happened, comes in several minutes later. And the exact same thing happens. Was this the money? Yes, that was the money. How have you tried to lie to God, not man? And she dies as well. And it says, and it finishes in verse 11, Great fear sees the whole church and all those who heard about the events. Now, I would be completely dishonest not to acknowledge the incredible contrast we see between God's amazing provision and the integrity we see, the boldness and the completeness, and then suddenly we see the incorruptible integrity of God. It cannot be impeached. It will not be impugned. It does not tolerate anything other than absolute holiness. And we walk away from church thinking, man, I, I had that argument with my wife. I'm pro there's probably going to be a heart attack on the way home. I, I don't know what's happening. To I lost my temper with my kids. Oh, this is bad. And that's not the message. What, what, I, what I believe we see here, and it's the reason that I, I began talking with our statement of faith, what that means to be adopted as children. When God calls us as, as adopted children, we are his forever. And so what I see with Ananias and Sapphira is not two believers who lost their faith or who were being punished or who God got angry at because don't make God angry. How terrible to serve a God like that. But I see a God who sheltered his church and grabbed his church and put his hedge of protection around his church and said, you two are not part of this. You've had opportunities. You've been given a, 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 you know, the exposure. You know, but you chose not to. And then you tried to hurt my church. You tried to jump in and join this communal setting where everything is shared, where they have all their needs provided, where it's growing and you see the, the, the admiration and the things that are happening in their lives. And you wanted some of that, but you tried to steal it from me. And you tried to hurt my church. And I won't let you hurt my church. And there was judgment. And that's really hard. I, I know that's hard. But I want you to think about it, And I want you to imagine how amazing, what encouragement that was for the church. Wow, look what they were trying to do. And look how God has sheltered and protected us. 
And it's not easy. I'm not going to pretend it's easy. I'm not even going to pretend I understand it all. But I know it's true. And I am so thankful that we have a God who protects us that way. He chases after us. He loves us. He pursues us. He is complete in his integrity. We can be bold in his integrity. And his integrity is unimpunable, incorruptible. So I want to finish with this. If we, if we jump down, there's really, there's really kind of two slides I want to get to. And what I want to finish with is, is saying that we can advance. We can move forward as a church, as individuals in our own lives, in every situation. Marital strife, strife in your children, strife in your singlehood, strife in your job, financial need, health need. God is there provisioning and taking us forward. And that's the integrity that he promises us and that we can build out on. Amen? That is our firm foundation. And I want to leave you with these two questions. I want you to think about this. If you are coming from a background where you don't know Jesus yet, then I want you to just be wrestling with that. Do I, I know this God of integrity. Do I, have I entered into a relationship with him? Am I at a place where I have engaged a God who is so profound that he'll provide for all those needs that he can be absolutely trusted in such a protective God? And if you are in that relationship, then I want to challenge us today to think about, since we know that God's integrity is an immutable foundation, immutable means, you know, we cannot impeach, we cannot touch, it cannot be broken. What holds us back from advancing in every situation for him? So I encourage you, as a church, and as we think today, and as we get ready for our ministry time now, just be, be filled with the Spirit and, and be, be pushed to be a church that is bold in the integrity of God. Because that's what He wants for us, and that's what He promises us. Thank you.